Before we look at James 3 this morning, let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer, ask for his blessing on the message this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us your word. We thank you, Father, that you have given your son. Uh, we thank you that we can have life through him. And I, I ask that you would help us this morning as we look at your word to evaluate our own hearts. Uh, certainly we're inconsistent at best. Help us to recognize ways in which we are not walking in wisdom and need to change. Help us to be honest with you about our own lives and uh, needs to grow and change. Help us to recognize the dangers in this world and the influences that can affect our thinking and therefore affect how we behave and how we live. Help us to have minds open to your word this morning. I pray that you'd use your word to bring growth and change that would honor and glorify our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Uh, I have a little quiz this morning before we get started, but this is for the children. So this is a case where um, it would be okay to blurt out an answer in church. Normally it's, you need to be quiet, but, okay, children, what kind of tree is this? Orange tree. All right, very good. 100% so far. How about this one? Apple tree, all right, very good. Last one? Cherry tree, right? How do we know that? We know what kind of tree it is because we know the fruit, right? A tree produces fruit of its kind, right? So you have a cherry tree producing cherries. You have an apple tree producing apples. We have an orange tree producing oranges. Well, and this theme has been an important theme throughout the book of James, the fruit of the life of faith. Faith produces like fruit. And in our lesson today, we're going to look at James 3, 13 to 18. We're going to see how the life of faith is a life of wisdom, and wisdom, James also points out here for us, has fruit. There is a product of wisdom. Wisdom is not just being filled with information and knowledge, but results in a consistent life. It doesn't mean that if you're walking in wisdom, you're going to have a perfect life. That's not the point we're trying to make this morning, but... Uh, the point is, there should be a demonstration of wisdom in the life. So let's look at uh, 13 to 18, which says, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy, and the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. 
So I want you to see, first of all, James points out here in verse 13, his point is that we should reveal our wisdom by our walk. We should reveal our wisdom by our walk. He points it out in 13. He starts it with a consideration. He asks them to consider. He asks a question here. He says, who among you is wise and understanding? So he starts with a question which should cause some self-examination, some reflection. I think the question in part uh, moves us from a different topic. Um, in verses 1 through 12, he was talking about the subject of wisdom uh, demonstrated through our words or the, the lack of wisdom in our words and the danger of the tongue. But here he shifts to the focus upon our works or our behavior, our conduct. So he starts here with the question, which should also cause some self-reflection. We mentioned, in a, I mentioned a couple messages ago, I believe, this is a tactic that we see the Lord, the Lord do as well often to get people to think. Uh, so we see with Adam and Eve. Remember, Adam and Eve were told they couldn't eat from the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but they did, and the Lord appeared uh, to speak with them as he had in previous times, and they were hiding. So the Lord says, where are you? His point, he didn't ask because he didn't know. He asked to get them to reflect, to do some self-examination. Why is it that now they are hiding? They are hiding because they've sinned. It's, it's a question to get them to reflect. And as we get further into this passage, I hope you'll see, because I'm convinced James is pointing out problems in the midst of these congregations that he's writing to, that you'll see he's getting them to reflect upon their own behavior as well because there's need for a change in the midst of the congregations to whom he's writing. So we see him start with a question, and his question then is based on the standard here of who is wise and understanding. In this section of chapter 3, verses 1 to 18, he is focused on the test of wisdom in, in a living faith. A living faith will walk by wisdom, and we talked about words last week, and today we're talking about our works or our walk. And James is pointing out here, uh, who is it that is wise and understanding? So wisdom is uh, moral insight and skill in practical issues of life. It's important to understand wisdom is not just information, but it is living based on that knowledge, as we'll uh, talk about here very quickly. Uh, in the book of James. And wisdom ultimately starts, we're told in Proverbs 1-7, with the fear of the Lord. A, a right relationship with the Lord is where wisdom begins, right? The, the beginning of wisdom is to correctly understand and respond correctly to who God is. So that's where wisdom starts, is faith in God. Repentance and faith towards God is the beginning of wisdom to rightly recognize who God is and turn from sin. And he says here, who is the person who is wise and understanding? And I would suggest that the word understanding here is simply meant as a synonym for wisdom. And he's compounding words here for effect. So who is wise and understanding, and notice the source or the group that he's evaluating here 
is those among you, he says. Who among you? So we, we talked about it at the beginning. Who is James writing to? James is writing to a collection of churches. So he's writing to churches. So when he's asking the question, who among you is wise, he's not talking about who in your society, who in your town is wise. His point is, who among your assembly, who among your congregation is wise? And why is this question important here? I think that ties back as well to verse 1 and 2 of chapter 3. Look with me there. What subject does he bring up at the beginning of chapter 3? He says, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble at what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. He's talking there at the beginning of chapter 3 about teachers. So I think uh, part of his point here is in thinking about people who want to become teachers. They need to be wise. They need to be wise. And he talked about how important that is with words. And now in this section, he's talking about how important that is in behavior or conduct. So here, the second half of 13, he's going to give the command, show your wisdom. So asking the question, who's wise? He's basically saying now, prove it. You think you're wise, you claim to be wise, you want to be a teacher, you want to be a leader, prove your wisdom by how you live. That's what he's saying. Look with me at the second half of 13. He says, let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. So we have the command here to show your wisdom by your walk. Your life should demonstrate it. He says, make it known. That's the idea of this word here, show. It's demonstrate it, manifest it. Make it known, not by your words, but how you live. Your life should be consistent with your profession. Your claim should be proven by how you conduct yourself. So he says, make your wisdom known. And what's the measure of your wisdom? He says here, by his good behavior, his deeds, or his works. This is the same idea we saw in James 2, 14 to 26, where he says, if you, if you have faith, show your faith by your works. The same idea here. A true wisdom will play out in the life. It will be demonstrated. Our Lord used a phrase that uh, maybe on the surface is a little hard to understand, but speaks of this very point. He says, wisdom is justified of her children. Right? The idea is, even though people may scoff at those who are wise or wisdom, those who follow the path of wisdom, those who live out wisdom, will ultimately demonstrate that it's wisdom by their life. So the measure of wisdom is our works, our behavior. Now he says here also by his good behavior. So these good works are demonstrated by right conduct. But I think it's important to understand behavior doesn't just mean a one-time act. It is that of a lifestyle, that of a character 
characteristic behavior, an ongoing standard by which we live. And of course, that standard of how we live, if it's wisdom, is God's word. Having a life that is consistently in alignment with the word of God. That's the point. So wisdom is not just something we get some facts, we make a claim to be wise, but it is something that is demonstrated by our lives. Very similar as we saw in James 2, 14 to 26, where he talks about faith and wisdom. So he then goes on and he talks about the manner of demonstrating this wisdom. Look with me again at 13 at the very end. It says, let him show by his good behavior, his deeds or his works in the gentleness of wisdom, in the gentleness of wisdom. Now, this word gentleness is is a word that uh, actually is translated different ways. Uh, Sometimes this word is translated gentleness as it is here, but it is also translated humility. And my, my suggestion is that we see it here actually as humility. It's used in verse 121. James talks about receiving the word of God. He says in verse 21, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the implanted word. Same word. I believe that's the idea of the context here is that it's actually that of humility. A life of wisdom will be a life that demonstrates itself by living the right way, and that includes a humble walk. And I think that fits the context well because it's not a boasting, arrogant life, which he's going to call out here in verse 14 about uh, bragging or boasting or denying the truth. And in in contrast to, uh, and and in alignment with uh, actually uh, 2, 14 to 26, where he talks about faith being lived out in works, uh, similar concept here. So I believe the idea is that of humility. We are to live a wise life in humility. The point is, wisdom is not just something we claim to have, but it is something we demonstrate by a godly life a godly humble life surely if you've been saved at all in your adult life for any number of years you probably heard the phrase that goes uh, your talk talks and your walk talks but your walk talks louder than your talk talks right same idea here you can claim to be wise but that's not important that's not the substance the substance is how you actually live That'll be the true reflection of reality. Let's think with me, for example, um, we understand these kinds of things in the the world. Uh, Think of a doctor with me. Would you just go trust your health care to an individual who claimed to be a doctor without any credentials or any proven track record of success? Not unless you're a fool, right? What does a doctor have to go through? Just, just an example of some of the things that doctors have to go through. Usually they have to start with a bachelor's degree, right? Typical degree, get the undergrad degree, and then you have to go to medical school. In medical school, there's lots of lab work that's done. There's, there's practical things they do to get experience. Um, 
in, a, in a very safe way. There's also clinicals where they often go and they work at places and, and have people supervising them. There's a residency period where they are given some responsibilities, but they're also still under some supervision of somebody else, watching them, make sure they're very careful in what happens, and there's accountability, right? And then uh, eventually there's licensing, and eventually maybe they'll get their own practice to be able to become a doctor. We don't just turn a person over to become a doctor because it's a very important set of responsibilities that they have, and they have to be proven to be trustworthy. Well, with wisdom, we need to prove and demonstrate that we truly are wise in the course of our lives, not just claiming it. It's not enough just to claim that we have it. It is something that must be proven in the course of our lives. So James says we need to uh, uh, reveal our wisdom by our walk, but I want you to see secondly, he also says we need to recognize true wisdom. And in this section, 14 to 18, James is going to break down what is falsely called wisdom and what that looks like, and then show us what true wisdom looks like, the characteristics of true wisdom. So let's see, first of all, he's going to mention the negative. He's going to say we need to acknowledge false wisdom in 14 to 16, and he talks here at the beginning of 14 about the roots of false wisdom. What's the root of false wisdom? He says it's a, it's a sinful heart. It comes from the sinful heart. Look at verse 14. It says, But if, you're, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and lie against the truth. He says here, the sinful heart needs to be examined. The, the heart needs to be evaluated. If there are these characteristics in the heart, that's not wisdom. That's sinful. And false wisdom comes from a sinful heart. The root of it is a sinful heart. And, and this is an important concept throughout the scriptures to understand. We don't just look at behavior. And even uh, in Sunday school, there was talk about dealing with children in parenting and uh, parenting responsibilities. We're failing as parents if all we ever do is deal with the behavior. We have to deal with where those behaviors come from. It comes from the sinful heart. So in the example he used this morning, talking about the two girls fighting and hitting each other, it's, it's coming from selfish desires in the heart. So that needs to be confronted. So in a similar manner, if there's problems in how we're behaving, what's the root of that problem? It's the sinful Heart, And he talks specifically about these internal motivations here that may be present in their congregations that are receiving this. He talks here about bitter jealousy. Bitter jealousy. What does that mean? Well, jealousy is a word that can also be translated zeal. And the idea is that of an intense interest in something. And this word can be used in a positive or a negative way. Um, but here he calls it bitter jealousy. And the same word bitter, the only other place in the New Testament it's used, is in 3.11 of James, where he talks about the fountains sending forth fresh water and bitter water. So the idea is that of soured desires. People have desires 
that are soured. They're, they're maybe acting out of hatred or anger or self-centered interest, which is reinforced by a second phrase there. He speaks of selfish ambition. He speaks of selfish ambition next. Simply individual interests being ahead of others. And this is contrary to the humbleness of wisdom, which is like Christ, putting others above ourselves. That's what true wisdom is, is living like Christ, putting others ahead of ourselves. But the warning here is that there is selfish ambition and bitter envy going on. These things are not true wisdom, is the point he's making. And there is, by the way, a great danger, a warning for us that in churches it's possible for people to be operating for selfish ambition or jealousy or things that promote self rather than Christ. Those kinds of things happen in churches all the time. Sometimes we look at people and we think, oh, it's good that they have initiative, it's good that they want to do stuff, and to do stuff for Christ and to serve in the church is good, but we need to be careful it's not driven by selfish ambition. It's the wrong motive. It's not wisdom. We need to evaluate the heart. But he also talks here about how to respond, how to respond to false wisdom. He says, do not be arrogant. So quit boasting. Quit bragging. So apparently... There was some evidence in the people that James is writing to of people being arrogant, proclaiming to be wise, but demonstrating by their uh, bitter envy and selfish ambition that they are not. So he's asking them to acknowledge that, to recognize it, to stop bragging about being wise when it doesn't match with what's happening. He says, uh, and do not lie against the truth. The, the, uh, Word here, so, if you see that in verse 14, the word so is italicized. Do you know why that's italicized? It's because it's added. It wasn't actually in the original. I think the word so confuses what this actually is. This is actually a double command. He's saying don't brag, but he's also saying don't lie against the truth. He's not saying bragging is lying against the truth, which so makes it sound like. He's saying, don't brag, don't lie against the truth. So he's given the third and final command here of this section. He's saying, do not lie against the truth. So in other words, they needed to start acknowledging what's wrong instead of ignoring it. And what does the truth mean here? I think it's the truth about the situation. They needed to acknowledge what was true in their case that they're not acting wisely. They need to own up to that. They need to recognize it and therefore change. And he's going to go on to give them further proof of this. He's going to give some reasons why they need to acknowledge that this isn't really wisdom. And it's based on, first of all, the origins of this wisdom. Look at 15. He says, this wisdom is not that which comes from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. So the origins, where is this wisdom? It's not from above. That's significant if you remember James 1.5. Remember James 1.5? I know it was a long time ago in this book. James 1.5, he talked about asking God for wisdom, right? 
They needed to ask God for wisdom. And what James is trying to point out here is you may have asked God for wisdom, or maybe you haven't, but what you have now is not that wisdom. This is not from God. This is not from above. Or perhaps he's saying they need to stop denying the truth because they need to ask for wisdom. But if they think they already have it and they don't, they're not going to ask. So he's trying to confront them with the need to recognize this isn't wisdom. They need to ask for wisdom. The wisdom they think they have and how they're operating is not from God. And he says in contrast where it is from. And this is where we get our classic definition of the temptations against the Christian. What are the classic definitions of the temptation against the Christian? It is the world, the flesh, and the devil. That combination is what we find right here. That's what James is talking about. The source of this false wisdom are the flesh the world, and the devil. He starts actually with earthly, which is obviously a contrast to the heavenly. It refers to the things of this world, but specifically, I think here, he is talking about the world as the system opposed to God that is influenced by Satan and the evil angels. So the world uh, is uh, not the right source to get wisdom. There is also, he mentions here, the natural. The idea is of natural is one who doesn't have the Spirit of God. This is used, the same word is used in Jude 19 and 1 Corinthians 2.14. And it speaks of those who have the unregenerate human nature. Those who have the sinful nature and don't have the Spirit of God. That's the source of these kinds of motivations, selfish ambition, bitter jealousy. They come from the sinful nature. And he talks also about the demonic or the forces of evil, the devil and his minions, if you will. So we have here an important understanding that there is such a thing as false wisdom. There is a false wisdom that we may think we're wise, we may think we're intelligent, we may think we're, being operating, we're operating according to principles, but those principles are actually corrupt and lead to wrong behaviors. There is such a thing as intelligence that is evil and perverted. We see these kinds of things in the ways we, we even speak. We talk about people being worldly wise. Have you heard or used that kind of phrase before? What does it mean? It's somebody who's crafty enough to understand how things work in this world to get things to go their way. But is that a godly wisdom? No. Or we talk about a person being street wise. What does that mean? means somebody who can take care of themselves on the rough street, right? They know how to survive in a dangerous and bad place. And the implication is they do whatever it takes to take care of themselves, right? They know how to operate in that environment. There is a wisdom that's corrupt. And just because we may be operating according to principles or intelligence does not mean it's godly. Um, we also can see this illustrated in times of war as well. Um, I am not an expert in war history, but I, I was reading about a 
fascinating story. Some of you probably know all about this much better than I do, but um, there was in the time of World War II, um, Russia, you aware of the Stalingrad uh, battle? Basically, to cut to the chase, to keep it short, we don't have a lot of time, but the basic idea was the Russians became aware that the Germans had broken some of their encryption. So the Russians took advantage of that and basically spread false information um, that they were worried that the, uh, the Germans were uh, defeating them and, and basically uh, sent out messages to essentially lead Germany and Hitler to Stalin. And they were sending this information to ultimately get Germany to attack there in force while they were ready for them to come. And essentially what, uh, what happened was there was about a million or a million one hundred thousand German troops that showed up at Stalingrad and attacked the Russians, but they were ready for them. So there were multiple hundreds of thousands of Germans killed in that battle, and it was one of the most significant turning points in the war, World War II, against Germany because of that. But there was misinformation given. There was false information given to lead them into a trap. Clearly the devil does the same kinds of things to us, doesn't he? There is an evil intelligence. There is a worldly wisdom that we need to recognize and reject. And that's, I think, part of what James is pointing out. One, we need to live in wisdom, but we also need to be discerning when we see people driven by selfish ambition and bitter envy. We need to recognize it. So we reject it. We confront it. Um, James is pointing out there is a worldly wisdom and it needs to be acknowledged and it needs to be responded to. It needs to be recognized for what it is, confronted and changed. So he also says, to further prove his point, what the outcome of this false wisdom is. He says it's two things. One, verse 16, he says, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, what's going to be the outcome? There's disorder. Confusion. Who is the author of confusion? Is that God? No. It is Satan. The outcome of false wisdom is going to be disorder. And he says of every evil thing or all kinds of evil is going to result from this kind of sinful heart. We need to be discerning. We need to reject this kind of wisdom. But we also need to accept the right kind of wisdom. Notice in verses 17 to 18, he's going to explain true wisdom and what that looks like. And notice, first of all, who the author is. It says, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, and unwavering without hypocrisy. The author of true wisdom is God. It's from above. It is heavenly wisdom. The source of true wisdom is God. As he mentioned in 1.5, they need to be asking him for wisdom, and then he's going to help them understand what are the attributes of that wisdom or what the, the characteristics or qualities of this wisdom. He describes what it's like. It's pure. It's pure. The idea is without moral defect or blemish. It's holy like God. It is also peaceable. And this is going to be the one that gets the most focus throughout the rest of the chapter. 
It's peaceable. Purity is first, like God. God is holy. It's peaceable. It's ready for peace. It's peaceful. It's going to operate in a peaceful manner, as he's going to mention in verses 18 here. It's also, he says, gentle. It is gentle. It's yielding or tolerant. It is reasonable, he says, open to being reasoned with or willing to listen. And I think the point of these characteristics is to drive home the contrast to some of the conflicts that were happening in the churches that he's writing to. So this is what wisdom really looks like, this, the characteristics of wisdom. And he says, full of mercy and good, fruit, or good fruits or good works, as we've been saying. And there was no shortage of these because uh, it is abundant. Um, it is from the Lord, and it is full of mercy and good fruits. Um, he also says it is unwavering. And that word is the same idea that we find in chapter 2 about partiality. I believe it's another reference to true wisdom operates in a way that isn't showing favoritism to individuals as he already rebuked in 2 1 to 13 it says without hypocrisy it's genuine it's sincere what you see is what you get it's the real thing the wisdom that is from above is from god and therefore is has the characteristics like god has that's true wisdom and he says here how that wisdom is going to Act. What are the actions of that wisdom? The actions of that wisdom are described in verse 18. It says, And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now I realize this is a little bit difficult to understand what he's saying here in verse 18. But I think the point is this. If you are living in wisdom, how that's going to operate is your goal. The fruit that you're seeking, the outcome of your life, will be righteousness. That's the goal. To be conformed to the image of God, to do what God requires, doing what's right. Righteousness is the goal. And what that looks like in the life of wisdom is we're sowing seeds of righteousness. We're planting seeds of righteousness. We're trying to produce righteousness in our own lives, trying to encourage righteousness in the lives of others. And the, the manner in which we do that, it says, is sown in peace. We do that in a peaceful way, not driven or in those who make peace. It's not done in the spirit of anger and self-interest which James is called out. He says in, one, uh, in chapter 1 that the uh, wrath of man or the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. The work of God is done in humility and peacefulness in sowing seeds of righteousness. And I believe the idea here is uh, twofold in focus. It is uh, sown in peace, that is, we work peacefully with other believers, but I believe that also part of our lives as believers is trying to get others to make peace with God. So it may include unbelievers as well. The characteristics of wisdom are very different than that of this false wisdom, and yet many in the churches to whom he was writing thought they were wise. 
and he's showing them by their conduct they're not acting in wisdom. So in conclusion, thinking about our own lives, are we operating in wisdom? And again, we, we, as believers, we're going to have struggles. We're going to have inconsistencies. But what are those inconsistencies where we're not walking in wisdom that we need to evaluate, that we need to reflect on? Are there areas of our lives that are causing conflict and strife, perhaps in our families? We're, is there something we're selfishly driven to accomplish that is causing conflict in our home? Are there things in the church that we're selfishly driving for that cause conflict? Are we living in wisdom? Are we known as peacemakers? Are we those trying to be peaceful and operating at peace with one another in the church? Are we known in the workplace, in our neighborhood, as those who are peacemakers? I thought it was a great example. He talked about in Sunday school this morning about a neighbor. All of us have had a difficult neighbor at some point. Are we a peacemaker? Are we seeking for righteousness to be accomplished? Or are we selfishly seeking vindication for ourselves? We need to be wise. And it can be tempting to think because we've been taught in the scriptures that we're automatically, therefore, wise. James points out we need to demonstrate our wisdom by our lives. And if there's disorder... If there's evil things going on, there's corruption, it may, it's an indication that there may be self, there's selfish ambition and bitter jealousy and those kinds of things going on in our heart. We need to reflect upon our lives. Where are we selfishly pursuing our own agenda to the harm of other people and to the hurt of the cause of Christ? And we need to repent of that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you give us the scriptures. We thank you that you have put your spirit in, in your children to bring conviction, to expose to us these areas of inconsistency and lack of wisdom. Help us, Father, to be characterized as peacemakers, those who have peace with you and strive to have peace with our brothers and sisters in Christ and also have peace with unbelievers too. Father, uh, I didn't mention, but uh, we know there's a limit. Sometimes we can't have peace because of sin and, and, and other people's lives and there's a limit sometimes to what we can do. But Father, help us to strive to have peace. Help us to recognize where we're causing disruption, where we're causing harm Help us to live more consistently according to wisdom. And if we lack wisdom, help us to recognize that and stop denying the truth. Help us to recognize we lack wisdom and call out to you for it, as we're encouraged to do in James 1. Help us to seek, as we read about in verse 18, to be those who are sowing seeds of righteousness. In our own lives, there's sowing that goes on in the lives of those around us, and even in our communities, our neighborhoods, our extended families where they don't know Christ, help us to be actively working to sowing seeds of righteousness in a peaceful manner. 
And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.